Lord, I lay down the burdens of my own heart, my mind. Those things that seem too impossible for you to change sometimes. And I know that's what I think because I don't ask you about it. I don't pray about it. I just carry it. So instead, God, we lay these things before you. Maybe these are personal struggles. Maybe these are things going on in our families. Maybe it's, it's our church or the state of the church in the United States. Maybe it's our culture. Maybe whatever it might be, God, we lay that before you. And we say, we know your arm is not too short now. You're the same God today as you always have been. You have never failed. You are faithful. And the name of Jesus is just as powerful today as it ever has been. So thank you, Jesus, that you are alive, that you rose from that grave, and that you have given us your Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us, to empower us, that there's not any person in this room who belongs to you who does not, is not a dwelling place for your spirit. God, I pray that you teach us and show us how to trust you, how to receive your love yet again, and step out in your strength and your power. God, thank you for humbling us so that we can learn to trust in you even in our weakness. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen, amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Thank you for leading us into that. Man, I'm serious. God, like, did you guys feel that too? God, God is doing some things in here. Continue to open your heart to that. You know, as we open God's word in a second, um, I I really do believe he has something he wants all of us to see today. And so as we do, um, thank you, Michael. Um, Today, believe it or not, is the sixth week in the final Sunday in our series called The Armor of God. Um, We have spent five weeks on 11 verses in Ephesians 6. And how, like, has it been as impactful for you as it has been for me? Like, man, like, it, like, yes, it has been so helpful to me to dig in and unpack this with you guys. Um, but in it, Paul lays out the reality that there, there is a spiritual reality to our world. And in that reality, there is a battle going on between the power of God and between the powers of Satan and evil. There's a spiritual war and God's enemy is bent on destroying God's work and paralyzing God's people. And so we've spent this series trying to separate a lot of the pop cultural myths of who God's enemy is from what God's word says about him. But even more, Paul says that we are no, not victims to the spiritual forces of evil in any way. That if you trust in Jesus by faith, then by God's grace, he calls you his own. You've begun a relationship with God. And as a part of that relationship with God, we've been given his spiritual equipment to stand firm against all evil. So piece by piece, part by part, Paul unpacks this spiritual battle suit. For us in Ephesians 6, the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, shoes of the gospel of peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, the sword of God's word. 
And so we've been unpacking those together as a church part by part. But there is one final element left that we're going to cover today that really ties everything together. But before we get to that, I want us to look at this guy, Paul, who wrote these words. You talk, like, look at a guy, Paul, talk about a man of courage, purpose, consequence. Like that was the Apostle Paul. I mean, this guy stands as one of the most influential people who have ever lived. He led thousands to Christ, planted churches across so many different nations and cultures. All of them had, like Christianity was not a thing. And he was an author. But forget the New York Times bestseller list, right? Like he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, which still 2,000 years later is an all-time bestseller. And throughout it all, he said he faced troubles, hardships, and distresses. Beatings, imprisonments, and riots. Hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. He said, he says, he was known, yet regarded as unknown. Dying, and yet living on. Beaten, and yet not killed. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. He said, having nothing, yet possessing everything. Man. So if I was going to put on a leadership conference today, Paul's the kind of guy I would want to come. Right? He would be a keynote speaker. And I can imagine when we get to that Q&A part of the whole conference, somebody's going to beg the question, how did you do it all, Paul? Like, what was your secret of success? How did you make it happen? Because my first thought whenever I see anybody who lives a life like that is to think, okay, well, he wasn't wealthy, so he didn't have that. And he wasn't like a, a king or, 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 or some sort of ruler or historical person of power. So how did he do it? Well, he must have been a prodigy. He must have been a once-a-generation kind of talent. But while he was brilliant, Paul himself told the Philippians, he says, man, I count all my academic achievement as nothing. And he told the Corinthians, he said, I came to you, but I didn't come with like this natural speaking ability, eloquence, this commanding charismatic presence. He didn't come with any of that. Apparently, he looked quite ordinary. All right, so then how then? What was your secret success sauce, Paul? How did you do it? And based on his words here, I can imagine him just being quiet for a moment. But his answer would be rather simple. Prayer. Prayer. But no, 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 Paul, like, like, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Of course it's the power of God, but like, what did you do? Prayer. Prayer. Can you imagine a leadership conference themed around let's pray? <laughs> but after unpacking the, the belt, the breastplate, the shield, and all the rest, prayer is the final element he mentions. And he doesn't mention it as a part of the armor. He doesn't mention it as an accessory to the armor. But this is the thing that stretches across all of it. And as followers of Christ, prayer is meant to be a lifestyle that stretches across all of our lives. And my main point today is this. A lifestyle of faithful prayer awakens us to spirit-led lives of fearless purpose. A lifestyle of faithful prayer awakens us to spirit-led lives of fearless purpose. Let's dig into Ephesians 6. Uh, verse 10, one more time. 
Why is, a prayer, is prayer so essential in our lives, especially in this spiritual battle? And how, what does it mean when we say prayer is a lifestyle? What does it mean for it to stretch across our whole lives? And like Paul, when it becomes our lifestyle, how does it wake us up to the purpose of God right in front of us? That's where we're going. Ephesians 6, verse 10. You guys ready? It's on page 950, the blue Bible's in front of you, if you want to read with me. Or you can follow on the screen. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray. Everybody say pray. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me. This is Paul speaking. That whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. God, we don't want to just read your word today. I don't. I want, I want to be transformed by it. But God, sometimes I get a little scared of your word because I realize that what it's calling me to do is, is, is beyond what I can do in my own strength. So Lord, I pray though that you show us that wherever you're leading us, it's for our freedom, it's for our good. It's so that, you, that we can learn to, to, to be live connected to you and your joy may fill us to the full. And so God, may we trust you as we open this up and may we open our hearts now to receive from you our minds to understand and may our feet walk in your path. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. So after laying out all the armor, Paul says last, pray. Now that probably doesn't surprise anybody here. Like, this is church. Right? Prayer is what we do. That's a church thing to do. But let's, if we can, try to suspend the best we can for a moment what our, what our impressions or whatever we think prayer is to say, okay, what does Paul mean by it? And why is prayer absolutely essential in this spiritual battle? Because Paul gives more words to the topic of prayer in this passage than any of the other parts of the armor. Which means that he's highlighting it. He's emphasizing it. Why? Prayer wakes up our inner selves to the depth of who our God is and his love for us. Now I'm sure that when I say the word prayer, many different things come to your all's minds. And depending on your background, you may think of prayer as just, just a bunch of words that you repeat. Or it's just something that you memorize, like, like the Our Father, or, or something like that. And you just repeat somewhat monotone over time. 
Or maybe for you, when you think of prayer, you think of that time that you were, you were desperately and, and, and felt rather awkwardly asking God to, to intervene somehow. Or when you think of prayer, you think of the eloquent words of some pastor or priest that you've heard. Or maybe for you, prayer is just about communication with a living God. But in all this, wherever we start, where I believe Paul starts, is prayer is fundamentally about a connection of love with our God in the innermost parts of ourselves. In the innermost parts of ourselves. See, as human beings, we don't only consist of physical bodies, but of souls. That there's a physical part of us that scientists can study and observe. But then there's this immaterial, the spiritual element of who we are, of our being. Whether you call it our spirit or our soul or our heart. And Paul talks about that in this letter to the Ephesians. And he prayed, for, for example, in Ephesians 1, he prayed that God's spirit of wisdom would enlighten the eyes of their hearts to who he is. In other words, he's praying that God's spirit would peel open the groggy eyes of their souls and, and show them who he is. Or in, in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul also prays that God will strengthen them with power through his spirit in their inner being so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith and root them deep in his love. So there it is again. Prayer, God's spirit, your inner being, a connection of deep love. And so when Paul says in, in, in chapter 6, verse 18, to pray in the Spirit, I think that's what he means by this. You know, some have suggested that, that pray in the Spirit means praying in tongues or praying in, in so, something like that. But, but I, I don't think he's talking a lot about just pr a prayer language as some have suggested. But he's saying that our prayers flow from the inner well of our connection with the Holy Spirit. That prayer isn't meant to just be words that we repeat. But it is to open our very souls, our hearts, our minds, our innermost being to all our God is. And so when we pray words of thanksgiving, we're opening our souls to his joy. When we pray words of worship, these are all filled invitations to allow his majesty and his glory to fill us. When we pray words of grief or lament, we're inviting the spirit into our pain. When we pray words of confession, we are allowing God's purifying love to cleanse us. When we intercede for others, where we're taking in the Father's heart for them. And when we just sit in silence, just listening prayer, we listen for his gentle, still voice within our souls. And I could keep going, but you guys get it. Prayer comes in many different forms. And Paul says to pray all kinds of prayers and requests. But what's the central thread through it all? Is that prayer awakens our inner being to our God. It's the very thing our souls were made for. Vibrant life with our God. And for this reason, God's enemy works really hard to sing our souls to sleep with his lullabies. That instead of recognizing our deep inner hunger to know God and, 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 and taking the steps forward to be connected to him, instead, 
Satan whispers to us, why don't you just sleep in a little bit later today instead of getting up to pray? You'll be just fine without it. That anxiety you have, that's not strong enough to actually talk to God about. You'll be, like, you, 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 you can handle it. You're strong enough and capable to handle it on your own. Don't concern yourself with, with their needs. That's their issue, not yours. Why pray for that situation? Nothing's changed yet. It probably won't. Don't open up your heart to your small group. I mean, to your serve team, to your Bible study. Can they really be trusted? In fact, do you want to open up your soul at all? Because once you do, once, once that innermost part of you wakes up, it's like a kid. It's really messy. It's unpredictable. You might as well just let it keep napping. There's the lullaby. <laughs> so in all these ways and more, God's enemy sings this lullaby over our souls so that we won't discover a deep connection in prayer with the God that we're made for. All right, you guys can turn that off. Thank you. <laughs> but as we learn to open ourselves to God's spirit in prayer, that's when we learn to remain awake and alert. That you may have committed your life to Christ. You may have trusted in him by faith. And as a result of that, man, you know that his spiritual equipment, the helmet, the shield, the breastplate, all the rest, it's yours because of what he's done for you. But you can put all that armor on. But a sleeping soldier isn't much good in battle. So Paul spills more ink on prayer here than any of the other parts of armor because it wakes us up to the nature and the voice of God. But the question remains of what does it look like to pray? Especially for those of us who might have grown up in a house where, man, prayer was never modeled for you. Or you're not even sure what that means. Like, how can we remain in tune, alert, awake to God regularly? How can we develop a vision for what this might look like for each of us? Well, to experience a vibrant inner life with God's Spirit, we need a lifestyle of prayer. A lifestyle of prayer. Everybody still awake in here? It's like that lullaby. It's like, whoa, man. That's... But see, I mean, it's so easy to compartmentalize prayer or to reduce it down to a few words we say before we eat or before we go to bed or certain times, like at church, certain places. But Paul, he, he says radical things like this. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Or in, in 1 Thessalonians, he urges us to pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And I used to look at this and I'd say, Paul, that's not fair. Like, pray continually? Like, how in the world do you, do you expect me to do that? So many days, I've started the day and I said, man, I'm going to stay close to God all day today. And I get to the end of the day, I'm thinking, did I even talk to him? Because <laughs> life ramps off. And all of a sudden, he's out of our minds. But when I realized, when I started wrestling with this, I believe what he's saying by, by pray in the Spirit on all occasions is to make prayer our lifestyle. 
See, a lifestyle of prayer refers to a blend of regular rhythms and habits that allow someone to remain consistently in tune with God. Now, this is, we're, not, we're not talking about legalistic rules that we follow to make God love us or to, to make God do what we want. That's not what we're talking about. But it's developing daily, weekly, monthly patterns of prayer across our lives so that our hearts and our minds, our innermost selves, may be in tune with the song that God is singing. Because our habits that we shape in our lives end up shaping us. Amen, everybody. And some, some Christians long ago have compared a lifestyle of prayer or a regular rhythm of prayer to a, to a trellis. That wooden structure there in the background is, is a trellis in a garden. It's a steady structure around which vines and plants can grow and flourish. And it is when we have a lifestyle, when we've, we've established certain rhythms and habits of prayer in our lives, that around that we see the very life of God growing within us. And in Scripture we see several different examples of this. Like Daniel in Babylon, who three times a day set apart time to give thanks to God and to pray. The author of Psalm 119 says that he would pause seven times a day to praise. Paul doesn't tell us what his rhythm was, but he described his consistent prayers for the Ephesians. So point is, like, the lifestyle of prayer looked different for all of them. And I'm sure that our rhythms change across different seasons of our lives. But prayer is the steady thread across our lives, where we incorporate it in all of its forms into our lives. Now, if the whole idea of a lifestyle of prayer sounds too daunting for you right now, and frankly it still does to me many days, just start with a habit. Just start with a habit. If you want a healthier body, how do you do it? You start with a habit. You either exercise, start eating better, and the same is true for our souls. But let's acknowledge that starting new habits, it's a little awkward at first. Sometimes it's easy to think that when we start trying something new, that if it doesn't feel natural right away, that we're somehow doing it wrong. But really, it just hasn't become normal yet. But if you're just getting started and learning how to pray, then I want to encourage you just, just with a few practical things here. First, set apart some time. Start with your day. And either pick morning, lunch, or evening. And I say that because for most of our lives, that's when we know we can be most consistent. Right? What, what time of the day can you be most consistent? Because consistency is key. And then what do you do in that time? Well, first, to the best of your ability, try to be present in that moment. Try not to be in a rush, in a hurry. Chances are, if we, we don't set apart this time regularly, our minds are going a thousand different ways. We want to just get going and get in about our day, going about doing whatever is in our head to do. Try to pick a time, not only where you can be consistent, where you know that you won't be interrupted. For me, to my chagrin, I realize I have to get up extra early to make this happen. Because once my kids are awake, forget it. 
Like we just all end up in bad moods if I try to make that my time when they're awake. So I have to get up before they do in order to set apart that time so I know I won't be interrupted. But second, again, prayer comes in many forms. Pray in the way that will help you focus best. And when my mind goes everywhere, I find it's much easier if if I write down my prayers or if I get up and just walk. (laughs) There's something about emotion that engages my mind so that I don't get overly distracted. Or oftentimes, it may help if you pick a certain passage in the Bible, whether it's the Lord's Prayer or a psalm or something maybe we're learning at church, and use that as a baseline for your prayers. That as you read, you, you, you allow a heartfelt response to come out of you toward God. So the Our Father is a perfect example. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, I praise you that you are holy, that you are just, that you are true, that you are loving. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I pray that you will come into my life, my family's life, my churches, my town. God, that you'll come into my nation, that you'll bring about change in the way that you want to. Give us this day our daily bread. God, I, I trust you for my practical needs today. I I need you to work in these areas. You guys get the picture. But it's never wrong to start with Scripture as a baseline if you don't know where to start. And then allow heartfelt expression to come out of your time reading God's Word. So be present. And pick a way and a time that you can focus best. But third, as you're praying, look for what's catching your attention in that moment. Is there a verse standing out? Is there a person who keeps coming to mind? Is there a situation weighing on you? I've learned that if I've taken, if I've already done the work to try to be present and to focus, that if my mind consistently, like a person keeps coming to my mind or a situation, then that's because God wants me to do something about that. Maybe he wants me to focus on that. Or maybe he wants me to pray in response to that. Pay attention to that. But as you are present and work to focus and pay attention to what's standing out to you, as you develop that steady habit of prayer, consider who can hold you accountable to it. We are far more likely to stick with a habit, especially habits of prayer, and to experience that connection with God that comes with it if we're doing it with others. So most likely, there are others already in your small group, in your Bible study, and on your serve team who want to connect with God in a deeper way too. Otherwise, why are they there, right? So perhaps ask them, hey, how can we support each other in this? And Paul even adds, he says, pray for all the Lord's people. How can you pray for one another? That you will strengthen your inner connection, that soul-level connection with God's Spirit. And as we develop these habits of prayer, they become lifestyles. And as these lifestyles grow, what begins to happen? That when we're awake to God's Spirit, we'll be able to recognize God's purpose in front of us. little context here. As Paul wrote these words, he was likely chained to a Roman soldier under house arrest in Rome, awaiting the day when he will have to stand trial before Caesar himself. Now what strikes me though, is knowing that's what Paul's going through, what does he ask them to pray for? 
And whenever he's given the opportunity, he wants to proclaim the good news, the gospel of Jesus fearlessly and boldly. And as I, I read that, 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 as I read Paul's words there, I think to myself, would I pray that? <laughs> would I pray that? I, knowing me, I, I'm more likely to say, God, get me out of here. I don't want these chains. Get these things off of me. I want freedom. But as, but as a man like Paul who was in tune with God's spirit, and that was something that had happened over the course of his life, he had developed a lifestyle of prayer, and he was awake to what God was doing in that moment, and that there was a purpose of God even greater than his freedom there. Now, sometimes we do need to pray for freedom, okay? Sometimes we do. But because Paul was in tune with God's spirit, he saw that there was a purpose greater than his freedom in that moment, And that after sharing the gospel across the Roman Empire, he would finally get to stand before Caesar himself. And he didn't want to waste a word. And he calls himself, to show that he gets all of this, he calls himself an ambassador in chains. Because he knew that as he would go before Caesar, he represented another kingdom and its king. And what boggles my mind here is that oftentimes for ambassadors in that day, especially on festive occasions, ambassadors would wear this this ornate jewelry around their neck, which represented the riches and the power and the dignity of the government they represent. But what did Paul wear? Chains. How did Paul represent the king crucified? The one who gave his life on that Roman cross by bearing the painful, heavy Roman chains. Was there any more apt representation of his king? And even though I'm sure he wanted to be free of them, he was taking up his cross and he was following Jesus toward his greater kingdom purpose. And he was able to recognize it because he had developed a lifestyle of prayer. He was fully awakened to the voice of God within him. A lifestyle of prayer awakens us all to spirit-led lives of fearless purpose. And I experienced some of this in a small way this past week. For the past six to seven months, um, I've been meeting with, with three of our elders here uh, every other week. Michael Spolinski, David Tetral, um, Derek Fullerton. And, and we've been meeting together very much asking the questions that we're asking here today. Of, of how can we learn to hear God's voice better? And how can we learn to, to respond to what he's saying? Right? And how can this be our lifestyle? And so we meet every week. We talk about what we're learning. We challenge each other. Well, this past Monday, we were supposed to meet, but Derek Fullerton called us and he said that his brother-in-law was in the ICU at a hospital in Boston. And we just said, hey, why don't we all go and pray over him? Why don't we, instead of talking about it, let's go do it. Let's go actually pray over his brother-in-law in the hospital. So we went down together, the four of us on Monday, went in, um, prayed, and then we came out and we prayed for Derek's sister there as well in the waiting room. Afterwards, 
to show how spiritual I am. I was anxious to get out of there because I had a to-do list back this way that I knew I needed to get back home. But I turned around as I was walking out of the waiting room, (laughs) ready to go, I turned around and Michael and David and Derek had surrounded this other guy in the waiting room. And I walked up to them and realized they had asked this man, hey, can we pray for you? And the guy's name was Oscar. And as they, right after they asked him that, tears began filling up his eyes. And he said, he said, I saw you guys praying for that other woman. He says, and I was really hoping you would ask me to. He says, I, I, I was hoping you would ask me to, he says, because my son, he says, his name is Joel. Joel has a big tumor in his brain and it's growing. And he said, and I want a good report to you. And so recognizing in that moment that while I was thinking about what's next, I'm so thankful that Michael and these other guys, they were present to what God was doing in that moment. And as tears were just running down Oscar's face, we began to pray over him. And a couple days later, Derek went back to the hospital to check on his brother-in-law again, and he happened to run into Oscar. And Oscar told Derek, he says, I will never forget that moment when you guys prayed for me. And the tumor had been successfully removed from his son's brain. Right? I was so focused on what I had to do next. But I'm so thankful that I had brothers who were present to God in that moment because God was wanting to reach out to Oscar and Joel and show them who he was. You see, a lifestyle of faithful prayer awakens us to spirit-led lives of fearless purpose. Do you see it? And so what I want to do before we just jump right into something else is I just want to take a moment of silence. I've learned for me that silence makes me uncomfortable. And oftentimes it's an uncomfortable in the same way that working out is uncomfortable. It makes me stronger, but man, it doesn't feel good initially. It feels awkward. And that's because silence, especially silent prayer, is where we're practicing opening up our innermost selves to the voice of God. And if we're not used to doing that, man, it can feel a little bit awkward. But I want to give us silence anyway. That we can practice that right now, and then I'm going to close us in prayer. But In this moment of silence, if you want to put your hands out, sometimes it helps to do something physical um, to actually focus our minds. But if you put your hands out like you're receiving from something from God, if you want to put your hands up like you're surrendering to God, if you want to get on your knees as a way of, of surrendering to God, whatever you want to do, if you just want to sit there and take it in, whatever you feel like doing, let's take a moment of silence because God wants to connect with you. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come speak to your people. In this moment of silence, may we be still with you.
Father, I thank you that you didn't ask me to come with all the perfect polished words. You just want us to come. Just like when I see my son and daughters come to me, I don't want them to be perfect for me to accept them. I just want to receive them because I love them. I want a relationship with them, and I know that's the way you're reaching out to us. And so, Lord, with wide open hearts, we receive your love. May you strengthen us in our inner being, that Christ may dwell in our hearts, that we may know the height and the length and the depth and the width of your love for us. And God, show us how to live from that place of openness to you, listening for you, laying our burdens down before you, thanking you, worshiping you. Thank you, Lord, that you're never done working in our lives. But discipleship and and walking with you is something that continues until our final breath on this earth. You're never done. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.